Hello and welcome to Dog Talk with me, your host, Nick Benger, the ultimate podcast to help you take the next step in your dog training journey by learning from the best experts from around the world. Hey, welcome to today's podcast. If you're a dog trainer who wants to help more people and make more money with your amazing dog training skills, then you should check out Dom Hodgson's Grow Your Pet Business Fast business coaching programs. I was a member of Dom's Pet Business Inner Circle, and in 2017, I attended his inaugural Poodle to Pitbull Pet Business Boot Camp. And we've also just worked out, so I'll be going to Impact too. So I can state without question that his marketing methods are effective. They will help you to make more money. By listening to Dom's advice, I personally increased my training fees by four times the original amount. Dom has twice been a guest on this podcast. And earlier this year, direct response marketing strategist Dan Kennedy called Dom Europe's number one business coach of dog trainers, professional dog walkers and pet sitters. So you can book a place on Dom's next event, Impact, the Pet Business Marketing Success Summit, by going to www.growyourpetbusinessfast.com slash impact. Or you can check out his free 33 ideas by going to www.growyourpetbusinessfast.com slash 33 ideas. I also want to give a shout out to my good friend, John McGuigan. John is bringing some of the best dog trainers from around the world to the UK to talk and give workshops. The next event is a two-day workshop covering motivation, focus, and proofing for distraction by Hannah Brannigan, host of the Drinking from the Toilet podcast. So to get tickets, go to www.glasgowdogtrainer.co.uk. Today, I'm talking to Steve Mann. Steve is the founder and the chairman of the Institute of Modern Dog Trainers. And he's also featured on The Underdog Show, Who Let the Dogs Out, and recently Lorraine, which has led to the publication of his first book, Easy Peasy Puppy Squeezy. I had a little bit of a cold when we recorded this, so apologies if my voice sounds a bit oddly deep and strange on this recording. But uh, yeah, let's get into it. So what made you want to want to write a book about puppies then? <laughs> what made me want to? Yeah, so... what, what was the... Because you, you're involved in so much stuff. You know, I I don't know. You've done... You've, you've, you do courses about all of these different subjects and I'm wondering what drew you towards puppies. Okay, so... I, several, several reasons, really. Um, I suppose the, the, the main spark um, was when I was on the rain show. And I got home from filming one of those shows, and there was, I had an email from a guy saying, um, just watch you on the TV. Um, you seem to think you know what you're talking about. I remember him saying, seem. <laughs> you seem to think uh, you know what you're talking about. So we've just got a puppy. Um, I wanted to know um, where I can get your book. He says, I, I, work, I work in publishing. I went online to find your book. Couldn't find it. So two questions. If, have you got a book? If so, cool. Where can I get it? And if you don't have a book, um, you need to do a book. So, um, yeah, uh, cut a long story short, I had a few meetings with him and then with the publishers and then the publishers um, <laughs> put up some cash and, and yeah, the rest was history from that point of view. But also, to be honest, from a, from a marketing point of view, or if, I'm, if I want to influence some dog owners, I want to influence as many as possible, and the fattest part of the pyramid for dog people that are going to buy books is going to be puppies. Yeah, absolutely. So was a book so, already on your radar? Um, a book wasn't there. Uh, book's been on my radar like every other bloody dog trainer um, for the last 30 years. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, no, there was just a good alignment of a Venn diagram of being contacted, um, me, my, my, my work life, having the time for elbow room to do some writing, and uh, yeah, lots lots of stars aligned, really. So um, that's why and how and when it happens. I wanted to kind of get into some of the more like juicier stuff when it comes to puppy training because I know that obviously there's so much stuff we could talk about. Puppy training is a massive subject, and obviously you do so much training at that period of their lives. So 
I thought maybe a good starting place, which is where every puppy owner's well, maybe not where they start, but but where they start in terms of when they get the puppy, is when you go to see a litter of puppies. How do you choose the puppy that you take home? Because, like, is is it is there actually a science behind it, or is it just you're drawn to one puppy? <sighs> Do you know what? We kid ourselves uh, of how to choose the right puppy and what to look for and temperament testing and yada, 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 yada. And um, I'm not going to get a puppy. I'm just going to go for a look and I'm going to contact all the breeders. But to be honest, man, the, <laughs> the wand chooses the wizards. You might go with every intention. Uh, and I'm, I'm talking normal people, not us dog freaks, but normal people that want a family dog. They go. They'll take all the advice on board. Um, but then they'll go to they'll go and have a look at a litter. And um, people will be turned on by the one in the corner that doesn't, the quiet one. People will be turned on the what? He, he instantly ran straight up to us. So um, we can go through all these smart algorithms on how to choose the perfect pup. But they've all got the same genetics when you look at litter. And they've all, they're all brought up in the same environment. And one might be tired and quiet at nine o'clock in the morning. And one, that one might be the one full of beans at 10 o'clock that same morning. So uh, I think if I, if, I was, if I was in the market for a puppy, and I probably wouldn't because my house is full of rescues and always will do, be, um, if I would, I would pay more attention on looking at the parents and the uncles and the aunties and the grandparents and the environment than I would looking at the puppy. That's interesting because there is definitely a variance between the puppies, though, isn't there? You know, like you do get shy dogs in a litter, and and you get the dogs that are really confident. Um, and and sometimes I know from you know teaching puppy classes and, and stuff like that, when you when you get those puppies that are really shy, it can be a bit of a mission sometimes to increase their confidence and and get them kind of interacting with the world. Yeah, and it can be a bit of a mission if you got. What, what you call the confident puppy, because that's the one that's getting into trouble and wants to take on the world and is like scrappy do. Yeah. So it's horses for courses. You know, one man's meat is another man's poison. Um, so the personality of, of, of the new prospective owner um, needs to complement the puppy. And the perfect owner for that confident puppy won't be the perfect owner for that shy puppy and vice versa. And that's fine. But... Popping around and having a look look at a litter for twenty minutes, half an hour, an hour, once or twice, ain't gonna tell you the shy puppy and the confident puppy. If you're looking at them in that same environment, if you're not separating them from the rest of the litter, if you're not going to different places, daytime, nighttime, with different characters. So assessing a pup, there, there's lots of stuff about um, assessing the characteristics and temperament testing. And I'll be honest, the majority of them I would take with a pinch of salt hmm. because. You don't know what you've got until um, that puppy is well mature. You can make it the best, the most appropriate puppy for you by doing the right socialization, the right exposure, and all of that good stuff. Um, but A, it's not an exact science. And even if it was, the dog owning population aren't scientists. Yeah, it sounds like it's really just guesswork then at, at this point. There's not really any anything, any reliable way of determining what a puppy is going to end up like there is but look at the parents it's, you know, look at look at the parents look at the um the uncles the aunties the the, uh, the very very broad um family tree that's going to give you the best idea of what the dog is going to turn out like factor in your environment and your lifestyle and all of the fresh stuff that's going into the pot as well um but if, if i'm going to make a bet on what the dog is going to turn out like I need to look at the, the the extended family more so than looking at that individual puppy. So then moving forwards with that, what about socialization? Does that vary depending on the temperament of the dog or even the breed of the dog? So socialization, I think just look at the individual dog. I think sometimes, of course, it's a consideration, you know, the, the breed of the dog and everything else. But, but regardless of whether we're talking about puppies or adult dogs, or children, or adult humans. <laughs> when when we're doing any sort of training or socialization, we work with that dog on that day. Um, so uh, sometimes the puppy is going to be bold and, and happy to run up to <laughs> the umbrella. It's always an umbrella in puppy class, or the man in the top hat. Uh, 
maybe tomorrow that puppy isn't going to be so bold and so brave. So just look, you know, rather than being a socialization expert, be a body language expert, because that's going to tell you when you can push, when you can drop, when you need to consolidate, when you need to have a breather. Um, so what really turns, what, what I really like to talk to owners about is body language. If I'm going to make them an expert in anything, I want to make them an expert in body language. Yeah, it's, because sorry. Then, because it's it's um, without that, you can do nothing well. You can't socialize a puppy well if you're not reading their body language and listening and accommodating. So it's not just recognizing it, but it's doing something about it. So that communication starts when someone listens and accommodates that dog. Um, so. Yeah, it's, it, I was going to say, it's, it's interesting how socialization seems to have changed even since I kind of got involved with dog training because back then, things like checklists were like all of the rage, you know, like your dog must meet X amount of dogs, you know, they must see like the man in the top hat, like you said. They mu- it's like, yeah, it's like most things, mate. The quality will always trump quantity, always. Has your opinion about socialization changed over the years? Um, my opinion, I think, no, my opinion hasn't changed. My opinion is it's very important. And the the more quality socialization you do, um, the best that dog um, will be. What, um, what does that quality socialization look like? So the quality socialization looks like um, it depends on what the exposure is to. So um, I'm, I'm a big fan on, on bringing the pup out and about ASAP, who isn't, or, or, or everyone should be, um, but not pushing the pup too much. I'm, I'm, you know, the clock ticking is, is a common phrase, but not at the cost of flooding or saturation. Um, so, it, of course, it's important, and, and I think it's important to... You know, things like the rucksack walk that, that I do, where people go out with their pup and, and they're, they're, it, it's very much a kind of a bonding communication um, exercise, if you like, but it's not contingent on right and wrong or pass or fail. But that's something, once the pup likes doing that with you, then do that in lots and lots of different places. So you have a common thread of something that the puppy is comfortable with, um, um, someone that the puppy is comfortable with, and then in the backgrounds, there's these additional sights and sounds and smells and textures and heights and weather and everything else. So um, I think a lot of owners say, OK, bring your dog to a supermarket, bring your dog to a roller disco, bring your dog to a twister competition, whatever it is. But then what? The owner doesn't know what to do when they get there. So, you know, you might end up with an owner and a puppy uh, staring down the headlights Um frozen not knowing what to do well so it's nice it's nice it's nice for the owners to have an exercise for the puppies to have an exercise that they know has got a good association they they know what the game is and then transfer that to different arenas yeah yeah that's a great point and you know one of the things that i've noticed in there's been a difference about and this is probably still kind of evolving i guess is it seems like when this kind of idea of socialization started to become really mainstream that people were just flooding dogs you know just having like however many dogs in a class and just kind of letting them play and letting them cause havoc and now people i think mostly through the dog sports stuff are starting to realize that socialization should be a lot about you know having the dog interested in you and interacting with you around all of these things as well and not just kind of letting them run loose and crazy yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, running around loose and crazy, and and you know, you, as soon as there's more than two dogs, chances are it's going to be two against one, three against one, etc. Um, the math doesn't work, and it's very difficult to balance once you're more than two puppies um, for dog to dog stuff. Uh, I, I don't particularly think it is from the dog sport world either. A more increased awareness. You look at operational dogs; they've been aware of that for many, many years. Um, but Nick, you're, you're <laughs> being a young pup yourself. It, it it just goes like a pendulum. Everything in dog training goes like a pendulum. Pack theory, it's more holistic. X, Y, and Z. Um, music, fashion, everything, politics. It all goes into a pendulum before it becomes super extreme, 
and then it goes back round and to a kind of a normal middle ground, and then it swings out to another extreme, and then it starts swinging back again. It's um, you know, socialization is nothing new. Dogs have always been social. <laughs> Dogs have always gone through a socialization window. Yeah, I understand that, but it's, it, people's awareness of it has changed. Yeah, I, yeah, I disagree. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's just interesting to. Well, I guess maybe you you've been in it a lot longer than me, so you've seen the changes happen, and as you said, that kind of pendulum effect. But yeah, this is my first this is my first swing of the pendulum. So. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy it, man. It's a spiral from there. But that was a big realization for me because you know, I I've the realization that you know socialization isn't flooding. It's not just kind of putting dogs together and and they sort themselves out and and also that dogs you know you have to think about your end goal you want a dog that is going to be mostly interacting with you when you go to the park you don't want a dog that is running across the park to you know see every dog that it sees yeah and i, and I think yeah socialization isn't 100 percent desensitization socialization isn't 100 percent building a positive conditioned emotional response to something um Socialization isn't if you if you push it up too far, it shouldn't be um, 100% counter conditioning either. So it's you, you need to choose your battles. If I'm going to be around with a puppy around a group of people, I'm looking at desensitization. I can, I, you know, I, in any good stuff, I want kind of coming from me um, because I don't want the dog to mature into bashing into people down the park and hitting them with a body slam like a, a toddler running around the vending machine arcade hitting all the buttons to see if they pay out but if i'm going to go to the vets or the groomers or a daycare i want to build a positive emotional response to that environment so it's it's knowing when when you're looking at socialization as a massive um umbrella term you need to work out what what needs to go in the desensitization column and what needs to go in the positive conditioned emotional response column yeah you make a really interesting point there with the it's not all counter conditioning because i think that's a trap that dog trainers fall into where you kind of put the dog almost over threshold and then you just kind of feed food into his mouth and even if the dog isn't reacting you're kind of overshadowing the event itself aren't you you know the dog isn't really experiencing anything it's just getting food constantly so that's something you have to be wary of isn't it when you take that counter conditioning approach well yeah, I think um, I, I think the term exposure might might be better used than socialization sometimes. Um, it's about being in the environment, getting home safe and sound, and the dog going, yeah, that was all right. You go, yeah, it was all right, wasn't it? That's it. That's plenty. Yeah, so you, but the dog has to experience it, doesn't it? Like, we have to be careful when we, when we do use food for uh, exposure that we aren't, that the dog is, is conscious of what's going on. You know, like the example I always give is, we do some husbandry training with our little chihuahua mix. And if we're using sausage, you could beat him over the head with a hammer. You know, he, he, he's just completely almost unaware of what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to understand the purpose of the session. Um, and it's, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, and uh, yeah, as you say, don't overshadow it. 100%. So, so how do you approach it with dogs that maybe are a little bit more shy or do you take do you take a different tact with? Uh, I'm reminded of something you said a very long time ago, but this is kind of a common theme with you, Steve. Like, thing, you're very stoic. I find in the way that you you talk. You know, you I'm, you. you I am Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. I uh, yeah I've pr- I got that. You know, like you you tend to drop these little sentences every now and then that just kind of stick in my head. Um, you you said something a long time ago about breed standards and that um all breed standards should just say friendly i remember you writing that or something along those lines anyway yeah 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 it's still saying just chill down my spine when i if i look at breed standards or breed characteristics by kennel clubs people that should know better but there'll be things like i don't know you'll you'll see something like uh akita um breed characteristics uh aloof independent uh ridgeback to one man dog yes nuts who wants an independent pet it it makes no sense it's 
you just have a dog that's friendly and then work from there. Because if you don't have that, the, the, our dogs are pet dogs. Um, so friendly is, is essential. Friend, friendly is essential. So that should be magnified and multiplied as much as we possibly can. And that would get rid of a lot of problems. I, I actually completely agree with you, but I've had this conversation with people and, and people are very, uh, they don't like the idea of that. You know, people are very conservative about wanting to conserve the the breed as it always has been, so to speak, you know, and they don't want to change temperament at all. And they also don't like this idea of, of having all breeds friendly. You know, they want, they don't want every breed to be like a golden retriever kind of, you know, that would be their response. Yeah, well, <laughs> two, two points, fuck them. <laughs> the second point was, for whose benefit? I don't want my dog to be friendly. I don't want my... For whose benefit? Um, it, that's not about the dog. That's not about the welfare of the dog for now and the welfare of the dog for the next hundred years. Because um, it's... It, 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 they've got... We, we've, got to, we've got to equip them to live in our life as... as appropriately and as comfortably as possible you know we, we invite we invite there are guests we need to be you know breeding breeding and well maybe we shouldn't be breeding for the first two or three years there should be some sort of amnesty so we can clear out the rescue centers first um no matter how good the dog is no matter how wonderful the temperament is no matter how beautiful the dog is i think it's a little bit like um we just have too many bloody dogs so to give them the best chance, they need to be friendly. Yeah, I agree. It's just, uh, yeah, you could if you try and uh, if you try and share that of idea with people, people just tend to be extremely resistant to uh, to changing anything about about breeds. And you know, being a dog trainer and going out and doing consultations with people, you know, you see the same things over and over again. You know, you see uh, my miniature schnauzer won't stop barking. It's like yeah, you got a breed that was that was bred to bark, or yeah. you know, or like I know you've you've worked a lot with shepherds, right? Like, oh my my shepherd is a bit fearful of people. Well, yeah, that's you know the shepherd is is supposed to be suspicious of people. You know, you've had shepherds yourself, so I you know that's an interesting point. I I wonder is if there's any logic behind that. Yeah, I mean, there, there is a logic behind it because, you know, different breeds were, were um, a dog of a gobby, suspicious dog, is going to make a good guard dog. And, you know, you know, a, a German Shepherd isn't just a guard dog. It's a, it's a the best utility dog. May not be an expert at, may not be the best at every, anything, but it can do everything, uh, which is why I love them. But, yeah, the, the, <laughs> The majority of dogs in this country and throughout Europe are, um, pet are just pet owners, yeah. just pet dogs. Yeah. Just pet dogs. Um, because, because when you start breeding for work, right, like things change. You know, we had this conversation with Patricia McConnell recently where it's like some of these traits that aren't productive in a pet home are probably very useful for working dogs. You know, like talking about shepherds, you know, if you have a dog that is... Uh, more fearful or more likely to react well that's great you know if you're if you're uh you know working them out and, out and about it's great for the person yeah it's great for the person and that'll be one dog that's 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 been spurned out of two or three litters and all the rest go to pet homes you know the amount i see adverts where people are, are breeding saying bred for bred for looks and temperament well these must be genetic wizards to be able to do that you know, to be able to breed this perfect-looking, perfect-temperament dog. Either that, or I suspect, false advertising. <laughs> yeah, and also, you know, whose idea of good temperament? Like, we just spoke about that, you know. Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I used to, so, um, way back when, I I, I used to um, do security dogs, and I used to train security dog um, handlers, and I used to be a consultant for various companies, and their doctor for their dog sections, particularly going up towards the London Olympics, when there was a lot of security needed for the stadiums, etc. Um, and and I worked with some guys and with some dogs. They were they were wonderful working. It's a dog I want outside my property if I'm if I'm concerned. 
but it's not the dog I want to be living with. Um, and to be honest, some of the men were wonderful. They were exactly the men I'd want outside my property. <laughs> they weren't the ones that I want inside my property. Yeah, um, that's interesting as well, because you see these videos uh, among the kind of working and and you know very serious sports lines where you know they have like eight malinois puppies hanging off them and it's like yeah that wouldn't go well in a pet home would it it wouldn't go well in a pet home but that's just it's just just ego that's nonsense you're not doing anything to benefit the dog um it's just no i I hate seeing it i sound like miserable sod sorry mate (laughs) it it, you know you see yes a guy a guy goes in in his bike suit or with his sleeve and he's got his mallet that's eight months, 12, uh, eight weeks, whatever, and they're hanging off and they're lifting the dog. How much damage do you want to do to a neck and a spine and a jaw and to teeth? Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's just crummy. And then, you know, you see the, the dogs slamming into someone's doing a bike sleeve and flying through the air and a bit of slow-mo and a bit of rock and roll music. And I just see vertebrae con you know, being concertinaed up onto that dog. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's just a bit, I don't know. I need, I need to, I need to have some ice cream or something, mate. I'm only miserable. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. So, well, I, it's courses, the courses, but the majority of the courses are pet homes. Therefore the dogs should be bred for pet homes. Yeah. We have to be very careful about, you know, who those dogs are going to, you know, especially if you're going to breed for traits that, that don't do well. In, in that yeah. kind of environment. Yeah. 100%. What, one thing, <laughs> okay, well, one thing I wanted to talk about, because here's a controversial... Well, maybe it's not controversial, but one thing that's kind of been going over my brain a lot is this whole concept of, of bite inhibition, right? And I wondered if you broached this at all in the book, because bite inhibition has now become kind of this universally accepted thing, right? Like, you teach a puppy not to bite you hard... And and that's supposed to kind of carry over from a play situation to if your dog actually bites someone. And that's where I start to wonder if that's legit, because it seems like a big jump to make that you teach your dog not to bite you hard in a play situation. And then if it ever bites someone in real life, it's not going to do as much damage. Well, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, if... no, no, so, I mean, if, the, if, if that's the example that you're given, so... Um... Not in a million years um, are you going to be sat on your couch with your puppy um, and he, he, he mouths your hand or bites your hand and, you know, you get up and walk away or you do whatever you're going to do as a consequence that to teach by inhibition. That's that's not going to translate to the day that um, two years down the line, the dog is frightened, the dog gets hurt, someone approaches, the dog puts two and two together and tells that scary man to go away. The dog's not going to go into his mind palace like Sherlock Holmes back to two years ago when he was on the couch with you and use minimum force. You know, he's not signed up to some metropolitan code of conduct. <laughs> um, you know, I can... OK, when I was a kid, I, you know, I was always wrestling and playing with my brother and sister and no doubt I would have been told for playing too rough, told off for playing too rough or for hitting my brother or whatever when I was six... Fast forward now that I'm 21, and if someone broke into my house, I'm going to hit them as hard as I can possibly hit them. Yeah. So my, my my punch inhibition that my mum supposedly taught me when I was six has no relevance whatsoever. Um, when um, you know, when I when when I'm frightened, when I'm scared, when I need to get rid of someone or something. Now. But bite inhibition, maybe maybe if you call it, rather than bite inhibition, because it's nothing to do with a bite. You know, mechanically, a bite is a bite, I suppose. But what we're talking about really is mouth manners, mouthing manners, play manners. You know, absolutely. For me, if I'm interacting with a puppy, I'll always have a third party, or a lot of the time I'll have a third party, like a toy, something that the dog can put their mouth on, can can bite, that we can both um, pull and put pressure on. And play with together because play a lot of the time is competition and that's fine it's a mock competition um but if the puppy's tooth touches me then i stop the play stops so inhibition to me is zero my, t- my tolerance is zero i think how hard that dog is going to bite um when push comes to shove a serious bite i think that's in that dog's wiring 
before it's even born. And I think it's in that, and I think that's um, confirmed or magnified just through operant conditioning if the dog has been put in that position and it's had to do that kind of behavior. Uh, yeah, we had a recent conversation in, in the group for this podcast about aha moments and you've just given me one because I thought I was the crazy person in the room for not signing up to the whole bite inhibition thing in terms of it's actually uh, causing dogs to do less damage when they bite someone in a conflict situation. So I, yeah, I, thanks for that. I think it's I think it's slightly arrogant to think that we teach <laughs> that we're teaching that. We are teaching mouth manners. We are teaching appropriate interactions. We are teaching how to play nicely uh, without without causing pain. Um, but I don't think we're teaching bites inhibition. Yeah, there's some value in it in the exercise anyway, but maybe not for the reason that people think there is sometimes. Uh, yeah, agree. Um, is there anything, any other kind of big myths when it comes to puppy training that that you think maybe would be worth addressing? Um, so I think, I think that there should be a change in emphasis on what's focused on first and foremost. Um, I think the first few weeks, the first few months, um, and maybe longer, the emphasis should be on how the puppy feels as opposed to what the puppy does. Um, I think owners and trainers can get obsessed with doing sits and downs and spins and all of that stuff, which is all fine and, and makes life easier. Um, but I think those treats, that time, that focus would be better spent um, early on in a puppy's life, um, looking at the, the emotional response, um, building up that, that confidence, um, uh, building up those layers of exposure. Uh, I, I, I think that's more valuable at that early stage of the dog's life you've got forever to teach a dog to do a down but you've only got a few weeks to teach a dog to feel comfortable in environments so um you know i think it's important not to put the cart before the horse also as far as talking about exercises when i was doing the book easy peasy puppies greasy all good pet shops um when i was when i was doing the book and i and i started writing down the exercises I went through a long process of getting rid of a lot of them, um, and, I, and I just wanted to focus on what to, what exercises make everything else easier, or even completely redundant. Um, and the exercises that I, that I kept coming back to are exercises like reflex to name, eye contact. They make they make and a sit. They make everything else easier. Mm. They they get rid of all the a, a lot of. Um, problem behaviors like jumping up that kind of thing um if the dog's checking in with you stationary then move that on to the dog checking in with you on the move and then hey presto you've got your loose lead walking if you've got a reflex the name you've got your recall if you've got a if if you've got a dog that likes playing with you you've got rid of so many potential issues um so the type of exercises that i focused on well, what people well, well, what people wanted from the book, which is loose lead walking, recall, um, but but five or six different ways to teach recall, not the same old boring running away in a straight line. So lots of different methods, um, eye contact, reflex to name. But I've done a whole chapter on um, play, the value of play, the importance of play, how to play, because people need to know that, and I think a lot of people don't know they need to know that. Um, so a lot of emphasis on play, um, nice chapter on the rucksack walk, uh, fits and pieces about my story and, and, and how I got into dog training. Um, and, uh, yeah, quite a few, <laughs> quite a few celeb stories cause the publishers like that, but there's a killer Brian Blessed story in there. Can you, te- can you tell it or not? <sighs> Come on, Steve. <laughs> You've only got four subscribers to this, so let's go for it. So, um... <laughs> do you know how many subscribers you've got on this uh i don't know how many subscribers but we get about at the moment we're at about a thousand plays an episode all right cool so um <laughs> you should have said ten thousand man you missed a trick right <laughs> um we'll get so that first the first was it the first series 
the second series. So I was on a TV show called The Underdog Show. I only mention it every two minutes. So it was about 12 years ago was the first series of The Underdog Show where, where they had 10 celebs, 10 dog trainers, 10 dogs out of a rescue centre, and it was a live show doing courses. Um, someone was eliminated each week, that kind of script. So I was lucky enough that I won um, the first series with Selena Scott and a dog called Chunk. So that was awesome. The second series, I was um, on the judging panel. So I got to wear a post suit and everything else. One of the celebs was Brian Blessed. Now, um, <laughs> it's a fruitcake, an amazing fruitcake, but a fruitcake. And um, I, I got quite good mates with him because we'd have lunch and dinner and all the rest of it on set. Um, and he always had a million stories, which is fantastic. But he had a dog called Dougal on the show. So he had a dog called Dougal. And uh, on the first series, I don't know if I mentioned, but I won. Uh, on the first series, <laughs> uh, the dog that I worked with and with Selena Scott was a dog called Chump. And the big thing for me when I was training Chump for that first series was really to not, not teaching him exercises, but to teach him to love hanging about with Selena Scott, the celeb that he was with. So um, on rehearsal days, other people will go in there and practice their spins and sits and downs and, and the agility and all of that stuff. But I would I, I, I would go in there with Selena and jump, and all it was was every time he looks at you when you're on the stage, click and treat. Every time he looks at you, click and treat. And then the rest can sit on top of that. But that's the spine of everything. Anyway, Brian Blessed and Dougal would go in for their show, and Dougal would bugger off 100 miles all over the place, and so would Brian Blessed. So we were having lunch one day, and, and Brian Blessed was... Um, Okay, Steve. How, how do you how do you, how do you get Chump to, to you know? I want him to look 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 at me like uh, Chump looked at Selena. Da 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 da. So I'm like, right, okay. Well, I said we'll work on this eye contact exercise. Oh right, eye contact exercise. Oh, mother's mother's. So okay, have a, have a couple of treats in her hands, and just hold it hand out to the side, and and Dougal was out. So let Dougal sniff your hands, pour your hand, say nothing. Only when he glances towards you. Then you're going to say good and then give him a treat. Just that one word, good, to mark the behavior and then give him the treat. And then what we're doing, Brian, is we're teaching him to, if in doubt, check in with you. That get, gets the good stuff. Or if there's something that he wants, if he checks in with you, and that's going to be your connection and that's going to be your core behavior for everything. Marvelous, marvelous, marvelous. Makes perfect sense, perfect sense. Right, okay, so treats in hand, Brian. So he sits, he sits forward already, treats out to the side. Okay, do go look at me now. No, 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 look at me. Oh, it's gorgeous, gorgeous boy. I said, no, no, Brian, don't say anything. <laughs> Just say nothing. Okay, Steve said, oh, do go look at him. What a wonderful beast. <laughs> He's a wonderful beast, wonderful beast. <laughs> All right, that's great, Brian, but, but don't Everything else is perfect, but don't say anything. Got it. Stum, Steve. Stum, Brian. Okay, treat out to the side, Brian. Okay. Oh, do go, what a beautiful boy. <laughs> <laughs> This went on, man, for about half an hour. How, how's that, Steve? How's that? Was that good? I said, almost perfect. All you got to do, though, is just say nothing. Just say nothing, Brian. And only when he looks at you. Why don't, Steve? Oh, do look at him. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's perfect, Brian. Good luck tonight, mate. <laughs> you want to show? You smashed him, my friend. Yeah. But, oh, uh, God. Yeah. got lots, lots of nice little stories in it. Um, so I did some training with Graham Norton and, and Theo Walcott, footballer, and a few other people. So, yeah, they're, they're in the book as well. Wow, that's fantastic. That does sound like a lot of fun. And um, w- w- one thing you reminded me of when you're talking about your book is it's kind of like, you know, you're talking about the limited exercises, and it reminded me of that 80-20 approach, right? Like the 20% that gets you the results, or the most of the results. Um, are you aware of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, I do the shizzle for a living. Yeah, so the eight, you know, the eighty twenty. So you know, um, what twenty percent of your work did you eighty percent of the results, or what twenty percent of your clients give you eighty percent of the arsake? Whatever it is, you know, so you can cut it a million different ways. And yeah, dog training can be like everything. Everything that can be cut like that. Um, but I think any business. And dog trainers should be good at business if they're going to be successful, and, and they rarely are, which is um, which needs addressing. 
But every every week or every month, you should look at your client base, figure out where you get your 80% um, profit and get rid of the other type of um, work that you're doing. And, you know, concentrate what pays the dividends. But yeah, with the with, with the dogs, 100%. And, and it's not lazy, it's just effective. So always when I'm working with a, with a client, um, always when I'm working with a client, they will list everything that they want to work on. They will, they will list all of their problems and I want all of it. But I will always say what one exercise will make all of this easier, what one exercise will make all the other exercises redundant. Because as dog trainers, we learn all of these new things. We go on all of these courses, and thank God we do. But um, we can get turned on by coming up with the most elegant solution with levers and pulleys and angled mirrors to try and um, fix the problems. But sometimes it can just be, well, just close your door or, you know, um, feed the two dogs in a separate room. It, look for the most – people People don't want complicated. People want simple. Dogs don't want complicated. Dogs want simple. So the more – I think the more experience I have, the simpler my solutions are um, because they've got to be done. They've got to be put into practice. Otherwise, you don't get the compliance and therefore you won't get the results. Yeah, this, this really resonates with me because one of the biggest realizations over the last couple of years for me was this, what what I call the engagement stuff, you know, teaching dogs to want to be with people, which you spoke about in that underdog stuff and, you know, getting getting the dog interested in the person. And once we started doing that, instead of doing the kind of conventional recall training, loose lead walking training, like everything just started falling into line. And it reminds me of what um, Charles Duhigg wrote in his book, The Power of Habit, about keystone habits. You know, you you start eating healthy and then uh, through that, you start uh, exercising and, and different things in your life start falling into place. And uh, it just reminds me so much of that. And, and that was one of the biggest realizations for me. A hundred percent. Yeah, you got to get, you gotta get your, your, your fundamentals right. You got to get your... Yeah, <laughs> I see so many dog trainers. Dog trainers, emotional burnout. On they're not sleeping properly and they're not eating properly. Sort out those two things before you before you worry about the more the, the the finer details. Because if you if you're not sleeping properly, you're not eating properly, you're not exercising properly. Nothing else is going to stick. You know, your thin ice everywhere. So yeah, that you know that those essential pillars are super super important. And, 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 you know, one or two simple exercises um, is where <laughs> sometimes you'll do a home visit and and you may do a, an hour and a half, a couple of hours, and the husband and wife there, the wife will take everything in, the husband will be sucking a thoughtful tooth out on you all the time, um, and, and you'll come up with your solution and a nice, simple exercise, nice bit of control and management, put that into practice, problem solved, everyone's going to live happily ever after, you write it up, you give it to, to the wife, thank you very much, that's, that's perfect, it makes perfect sense, we're, we're excited to crack on. Give it to the husband, he says, well, it's common sense really, isn't it? And he goes, yes, it is, my friend, that'd be £300, and then just cartwheel out of the house. That's <laughs> like the wife on the way out, do you know what I mean? So, yeah, simple is good. Yeah, I think a lot of people take that comment as an insult, and it really shouldn't be. You know, the it's common sense kind of thing. It's like, I think when you get that comment, it's a sign that you've explained the process well. Surely, yeah, surely your solutions should eventually sound like common sense to the owner. Because if it doesn't, then you've missed something in your explanation. Um, who's that, 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 that uh, physicist? Uh, Richard Feynman or something. Uh-huh. It's like if you can't explain something to a child in a way that a child will understand, you don't understand it well enough yourself. So it should. It, by the time it's gone through all of the filters, and and there can be lots of complicated filters that you have to go through. But what comes out, the product that comes out of your mouth at the end, should be simple. Yeah. Um, just as we keep talking, it reminds me. I, I think we have a bit of a common interest in the stuff that we read and talk about like uh you know you mentioned stoic philosophy are you are you also a fan of like tim ferris and uh, uh yeah I'm, a, I'm i'm aware of i'm aware of his work yeah uh, also like one of my favorite authors is ryan holiday who writes a lot about stoic stuff yeah 
Yeah, Ego is the Enemy. Um, yeah, um, that's right, a bestseller, those kind of things. Yeah, and it's, you know, Stoicism, it, as a philosophy, it just makes sense. It, it, and, and, and as a philosophy, it's very, very simple. Um, you know, it, it's... Oh, my mum used to have a, a, like a, <laughs> a prayer on a detail. What was it? It was... Um, um, uh, courage to change the things you can change. Um, I don't know, something to accept the things you can't and wisdom to know the difference. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that before, yeah. That's, that's, that's Stoic philosophy in a nutshell, really. But um, So uh, have you found that's helped you through your kind of dog training career? Yeah, it's essential. Well, it's not essential. Maybe it's essential for me. Of, of course, yeah, because it um, it helps you put things in compartments. It, it helps you... <laughs> a pal of mine I was talking to last night, um, he said, you must have put this phrase in the book because you always say it, but I didn't. But the phrase is choose your battles. You've got to choose your battles. And and the dog trainers that don't choose their battles, they're the ones that have emotional burnout. The dog trainers that don't choose their battles, they're the ones that have tried to cram 12 one-to-ones in, in a day and doing all of them crap as opposed to doing four of them well. Um, so, yeah, you know, ch- change and affect the things that you can and that are worth the effort. And the ones... That, um, that aren't worth the effort or the ones that you're not going to affect change, let them go by. That's all right. Someone else can pick them up downstream. Yeah, I, I've certainly started to take that approach over the last few months towards the whole social media stuff because if you get involved in every discussion and debate, then you just end up killing so much time doing stuff, stuff that isn't productive. You just, you know, it makes you angry and it's like really... Uh, I I just if I see stuff that annoys me now I, I tend not to comment and if I do comment I leave one comment and then just let other people debate till you know till midnight. All right, so but then why do you comment in the first place? Uh, if I feel if I if I leave the one comment then it's usually because I don't know there's a compulsion isn't there when you see someone say something that you just disagree with. <laughs> yeah, man, but here's, here's, here's my tip. In fact, go back two steps. First step, don't comment. Second step, stop. don't keep putting yourself in a place where you're going to see things like that, even in the first place. Mm. Lots of social, me- social media, <laughs> it's like the difference between a cat and a dog. Social media is a, is a, is a, is a great servant, but a terrible slave. So, you know, just to use it for your own devices, but be a bit more SAS. Get in there, do it, and get out again. Don't don't link because someone will get their barbs into you, and then you won't. You very few people log 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 off feeling better than when they logged in. Yeah, there was. Yeah, absolutely. I've been reading a bit about that recently, but um, I, I think you will know this as well. When you have your own little community on Facebook as well, there is a certain obligation to do a do a certain amount of kind of feeding your community with good stuff and and trying to you know uh guide them but yeah. you have to be careful about getting you have, like you said you have to pick your battles right you have to choose your battles and yeah absolutely um you know putting good stuff out there for that's that's going to be nurturing not something that's going to be um that's going to be divisive and and I, I don't really dig all this marketing way of you know be divisive you know market um, um, find your own avatar and, and sod everyone else. And um, it's it's for, within the dog training world. It's a different rhythm to other marketing. Um, it's a different rhythm. So if you're putting something on there that's nurturing and going to help people and educate people and make people feel better about it, awesome. But putting in a comment and then dropping the mic and walking away. <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> that's exactly what you do. And it's, it's not healthy. It's, it's not healthy. It, you'll get a little dopamine boost, a little self-induced one. It's not because you're not even thinking about for other people to say, that's awesome. You know, you're saying, that's awesome. You, you, should don't, you shouldn't need these kind of external things to get your arm um, gratification. <laughs> that's so funny because that is exactly what I do. You know, you see, 
oh, I don't know. You just see something and it just irritate you and, and you just... Uh, or, or, for example, like, I won't kind of go into details, but I saw one post the other day where someone put something which I would say is right, in my opinion. You know, they put a, yeah. a post that they thought was right. And yeah. then it was posed as a question, but then they just got butchered in the comments. And it's like, you know you almost want to help that person out, but you don't want to get involved in, in, the, in the, you know, in the, in the melee. So. Yeah. 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 So, um, and, and that's fine. So if you see that and, and you do want to help that person out, all you got to do is drop them a, a, uh, if, if you genuinely do, just drop them a message and say, this is my email. If you want to chat it through, if you want to chat it through. And if, if you do you do it properly without without the noise and the people throwing peanuts from the gallery left, right, and centre, mm. or done. You know that would be. I would say. So so your 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 most precious commodity is your time. Do you want to spend time talking this through? And if you do, do you want to talk it through effectively, which is just you and that other person, or do you want to kind of use it as a marketing tool? Because I think that's your two options on social media. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, and I've seen that I've seen you kind of take that point before. I've seen you, uh, you know, being quite um, proactive about giving people your email address. Yeah, yeah, that's, and that's fine if it's something that you know. If yeah, why not? Well, well, I I do think you know you must be a much well you are you know you're a much bigger target than I am because you've got this whole you know association you've got the whole imdt thing and i've certainly seen posts before where people are criticizing the imdt and you know they're saying uh the one thing that i see and you've i'm sure that you've seen this a million times before anyway it's like the whole free day career as a dog trainer thing you know is that people will comment that you know you can't be a dog trainer in three days and and i know that that isn't i know that isn't your what you're the course is yeah, yeah i know i know that and actually i spoke to um jane arden privately uh months ago now and and somehow we got to talking about the imdt and and we we had that discussion and she was so complimentary about you and she said that you know that she had seen people take that point i hope yeah. i can tell this story so she had, she'd seen people take that um that point and she'd stuck up for you and you'd been very nice in kind of sending her a message and and inviting her along and all that kind of stuff awesome. yeah yeah that, um yeah um lovely thank you jane that's great um but all, but people that want to criticize anything that's cool that's none of my business <laughs> what people say is none of my business that's fine. I, I'm just flattered that they've heard of me because chances are I've not heard of their dog training business. <laughs> yeah, very good point. And and you you've handled that so well. You know, so many people will get dra- dragged into those arguments and get dragged into a place where they feel like they have to defend it. And actually, you know, you spoke about being divisive earlier. In many ways, that is divisive. But to the people that you know, there are. I mean. The IMDT, you must have the most fanatical kind of people involved ever. You know, so many of these... I see so many IMDT trainers and they're just so enthusiastic about the association and they're so... More than any organisation I can think of, they're so proud, you know, they're wearing their hoodies and they're just living that life, you know? (laughs) It's wonderful and it's fantastic and... And it's a snowball that only ever gets bigger because of that, because it's got, you know, it's got an ever-expanding surface area. So, and and um, yeah, it's one, it, it's wonderful, and I'm, and and it's and 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 I'm really really proud, and um, and it's because of the people and because of the community, and it's this self-fulfilling thing now, and it, and I'm I don't have to be front and center. No one wants to be front and center, and that, and that's perfect. Um, but 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 we also you will never find any um, criticism of anyone um, on the IMDT Facebook group about other trainers, and, and that's I think that's on our pinned post. Regardless of methods, regardless of equipment, regardless of um, ethics, let's so, say you know dog whisperer, this, it, 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 we just don't have it on there because it's malignant and it never spirals up that conversation. It will always spiral down. 
So, um, yeah, the, the IMBT culture, so the, the ethics and everything else is, is fantastic, and the standard of trainers is fantastic. But the whole, the, the, the culture of it is, um, is what I'm proudest of, really. And what's really exciting is, um, what month are we? January. So I'm, um, I'm out in China next month, and we've got a new, uh, physically, a new uh, college, 100% dedicated IMDT college in Shanghai. It's uh, insane. Yeah, it is insane. And it's, um, <laughs> so you'll be seeing less of me in the UK. Uh, <laughs> out there and, um, massive plans and really we have a plan to be the driving force behind welfare and ethics um, for all animals but obviously dogs is my speciality so that's kind of super exciting and that's a whole other level um, to get our, our teeth stuck into um, from an IMDT point of view. Well yeah it seems like only the other day I was seeing you post about Australia. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah Australia's good yeah so um, we've, got, we've got courses going on in Australia now uh, on a regular basis, I think this month there's um, some puppy courses going on, and then we've got aggression and careers of dog trainer, um, and and the whole the whole portfolio of courses now um, are regularly taught in Australia. Um, I'm going out myself in September um, to Perth and Melbourne and uh, Adelaide, um, but. Uh, Fiona and Laura are the instructors out in Australia and they're superb so yeah exciting times out there as well yeah it's good yeah that must be a difficult thing for you to do now because you know you created this whole thing in here in the UK and now you're having to trust more and more people with with your brand no that's that's fine the people are the brand you know it's not it's not my brand so it, it, it's it's um <laughs> it is um but it's not the brand isn't Steve Mann the brand is the the IMBC members and IMBC courses and, and the brand is the culture and the people are the culture. So if the, the guys that deliver the IMT, IMBC courses, hand on heart, they're, they're, they're all great presenters. They all know their stuff because they've all come through the ranks of the culture. Um, so so uh, there's a great consistency through our presenters as well for IMBC courses. Um, and so that's awesome. That's, 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 that's as exciting as anything else. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you're talking about IMDT culture. I've There was one of the things that I've always loved about, um, you know, there's a there's a group of group of people that are so supportive and so, you know, they're just what you kind of want the dog training community to be. You know, like the person that I always talk about as helping me out so much is John McGuigan, who's part of the IMDT as well. And, you know, people that would just reach out and just kind of, be nice to people and, and give them support because so so much of the time is is coming from a negative place when you, when you're on social media that it, it really does stand out and I think there needs to be more people that are like that. Yeah, and uh, but the thing is, mate, you're just looking in the wrong place. There's <laughs> there's lots of places. There's lots. Of, most people are like that. In my experience, most people are. But I think I'm. Um, I probably constantly change my own algorithm anyway. So, in fact, if I'm on Facebook, so if I'm on Facebook, if I ever see if I ever see a post that's a little bit negative, I'll, I'll be honest, mate. I just delete that. I just unfriend that person. Mm. Now, nothing personal, but if I'm going to spend my time, my minutes, seconds, hours looking at stuff, I don't want to look at anything negative. I don't watch the news. I don't read newspapers because it's not good stuff. So I've only got a, a limited amount of time on this speck of dust flying around the galaxy. <laughs> you know, I've got 70 years. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in my third act. Sod looking at anything negative or talking negative about anyone or anything. It doesn't, it, it's not nurturing enough. It doesn't add anything. So, so, okay. So from that approach, then you're reducing the negative input as much as you can and presumably doing the opposite as well trying to fill your time with stuff that you enjoy 100 percent, yeah so what so, kind of stuff do you do day to day steve obviously you've got this massive company to run um what do you fill your day with i know you're very interested in tracking and you do all that kind of stuff as well yeah i am but people ask me that like i'm kind of running around like a lunatic mate i don't do a lot of stuff at all i i always have one priority job i do my list of things to do is always a, a list of one mm. and i do that and then i stop working i'll be honest that's why <laughs> I, 
Um, so I might do that in 10 minutes. I might, it might take me eight hours, whatever. But um, I, what do I do in my day? I, I'll always do some kind of exercise. I always do some kind of meditation. Um, I always spend a lot of time with my dogs. Um, I normally do a couple of hours in the office doing stuff but I've, but there's, we've got an, an amazing team with IMDC so Alison uh, in the office she does the lion's share of all the heavy lifting really uh, metaphorically and literally um, so and, and, and so I get to do the creating stuff so the stuff like China so yesterday my day I, I spent uh, three hours um, writing criteria we're doing six courses out there so it's a different it's a different model to the courses that we do over here um, because it's more full time college set up. So my my day was um, writing um, a year's worth of courses, uh, a syllabus basically, and that's so exciting because it's like I'm sat down with a blank piece of paper, and I'll be honest and without sounding rude, I'm working with a blank country as far as dog training is concerned. So um, my starting line, my baseline isn't where my baseline would be for an introduction course over here. It's probably four or five steps below that because I need to emphasize a bit more about um, welfare um, and animal rights kind of thing um, and diet and just day-to-day living before we even talk about um, training. But they're really not exclusive things. They, they go hand in hand. You know, I see. You know, dog training is is like Maslow's pyramid. The dog still needs to feel healthy, and safe, secure, homeostasis—the swanky word. All of this stuff needs to be in place before we start looking further up that pyramid, which is still dog training stuff, problem solving, recognition from others. Um, so yeah, building a kind of a a, a dog Maslow's canine pyramid uh, was yesterday's job. Um, writing the syllabus for China, um, and a bloody good job I did of it too. <laughs> I can't wait to get out of it. <laughs> I know you've spoke before about kind of uh, not being a fan of this kind of like glorification of being busy, right? Like people ask, "Are you are you busy?" As if it's a good thing if you are. I never, I never, um, yeah, I, I don't like busy. <laughs> it makes me anxious. <laughs> it sounds like you've invested a lot in the back end, though, so you you can you know, take it a, a bit slower. I'm just not, not a lot, not a lot. So, you know, I do a course, um, mind your own business for people, for dog trainers, but looking at the more business marketing side of things, because it's so important. But, um, of course, when you start a new business, you need to spin the wheels. Of course you do, but you should be getting traction very quickly. And once you get traction, then you need to be more effective in how you spend your time. You know, if I say to a dog trainer, you've got six hours, how would you spend that day? You know, they could probably put in three one-to-ones, half hour for admin, half hour for generating new business, and still have a little bit of time for playtime. So um, when people when, when when people come on that course, I send them a questionnaire first. I say, what hours do you do? It's like 7 a.m. till midnight, six days a week. Like, unless you're a millionaire, you're doing something desperately, desperately, desperately wrong. Because you can make good money being a dog trainer. And that's not the reason to be a dog trainer. You know, make money so you can help dogs. Don't help dogs so you can make money. But you can make a really nice, comfortable living being a dog trainer quite quickly if you know your stuff and you run it like a business, which you should do. The trouble is people don't run it like a business. Yeah, so uh, just to wrap up then, where can people find your book? Where, Where can they find out more about you and the IMDT? So um, you can find the book everywhere. Um, so easy peasy, puppy squeezy. It's out on the 7th of February. Um, so you can pre-order now on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon. Um, uh, or the Steve Mann Dog Training website, which is stevemandogtraining.com. Um, it will be on the IMBT website. So all the courses, um, imbt.uk.com. Uh but yeah, um, that's where you'll find me. Same as everyone else. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for talking to me, Steve. You're welcome, brother. Hope you have a good day. Take it easy. Go and do some meditation and read a book.
I hope you enjoyed that episode. As always, you can grab the show notes, which is all the links and the stuff that you might want to check out after this podcast at www.nickbenger.com slash steve hyphen man. And don't forget to join us over on the Facebook discussion group. Just go to Facebook and search for Dog Talk with Nick Benger podcast discussion group. And if you have a couple of minutes and you really want to help us out, then just go to iTunes and leave a review of the podcast because that is extremely helpful. It helps us show up higher in the search results and thus share this information with more people. So thanks so much and see you guys.